1 Corinthians chapter 5 and 6. And you're going to see that it is entitled house cleaning. You see, uh, the Word of God, I think sometimes we have, uh, if you haven't been in church for a while, or maybe you were in church and you just kind of left because it wasn't, you weren't getting anything out of it. I think that sometimes it's easy to misunderstand the Word of God and know, uh, sometimes it just, we feel like it's just a bunch of do's and don'ts. Don't do this, don't do that. If you do this, God's going to be mad at you. But it is full of God's love also. Now, Paul, he's been dealing with the church in Corinth. And uh, as we said, it's wealthy. Um, The port city there is very, very wealthy. So consequently, as the church begins to grow, it's full of a lot of people. And I would guess, this is just my opinion, but I would guess probably a lot of people who are used to expressing their own opinion. You know, money has a way of doing that. If you have a lot of money, you can kind of express your own opinion. And uh, they were doing that. But they brought a lot of those attitudes into the church and it was causing a lot of division they fancied themselves to be free thinkers Um, they prided themselves on being free thinkers following the whatever it was at the time that they felt was what made them brilliant and as a result of that there were a lot of disputes that were taking place within the church So Paul also, the Bible also has tips for living, if you will. If you want to be happy for the rest of your life, read the Word of God, right? It gives us what we need to do to be able to stay in the will of God and to live a life that's full and a life that's rich and a, a life that's full of joy. That comes from the Word of God. But we don't always live that way, do we? We have to hear a message at some point in time that says, hey, you really need to give your life to Jesus Christ. And then when we give our life to Jesus Christ, it's not just, it's not just overnight that you stop swearing. It's not just overnight that you stop lying. It's not just overnight that you stop cheating. It's not just overnight that you get away from the life-dominating sins that maybe occurred prior to that. It's just kind of a step-by-step process. And so Paul gives a lot of instruction on what to do and what not to do. And we're going to see those two roads, if you will, this morning as we go in here to um, 1 Corinthians chapters 5 and 6. I think the Bible makes it very, very clear that there are two roads to follow. In the world, you can kind of take any path you want, right? Whatever feels good at the time. The favorite saying is, just follow your heart. Right? Don't we hear that all the time? You watch TV, it'll say, well, just follow your heart. If you don't know what to do, just follow your heart. Don't follow your heart. Don't follow your heart. Because the scripture says the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? What that means is sometimes we don't even know our own motivations. So you can't go by the heart because sometimes the heart is telling you to do something you shouldn't do. To react in a way that you shouldn't react. And we have to go back to the word of God and say, okay, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to act? How am I supposed to react? And then instead of trying to make the word of God align with our heart, we make our heart align with the word of God. And things always work out well if we do that. So here's a couple of questions for us this morning. Are we walking in that power of God and in that authority? 
Now, when I say the power of God, I'm not talking about you just walk by and people faint. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about walking in the victory that is ours, that Jesus purchased at the cross. Knowing that this world is only temporary and the other one is eternal. And there's only those two paths. There's not what's behind door number three. It's just one and two. One of them is a way of doing whatever we want. The other one is trying to do what the Lord would have us to do. That other one, that other path, the wrong path, we think our pride and ego can coexist there. In fact, it does exist in that wrong path. But when we become a Christian, we have to kind of lay that stuff down. Because the glory belongs to God. You're breathing this morning because God has given you breath. So everything is a gift from the Lord. If you have a talent, that's because God placed it inside of you. You may have um, gone to school. You may have uh, developed that talent to something that's marketable or something that's appealing. But God put that in you to start with. And I think that's the big difference. That one road... We just think it's all us. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've managed. Look at what I've accomplished. And on the other one, you find yourself in a very humble position of thanking God for even your very breath. Now, Scripture also tells us that if we willingly let sin reign in our body. Now, what does that mean? We're all sinners. I'm sorry to disappoint you guys, but we're all, dis- we're all uh, sinners. But some of us are saved by the grace of God. In other words, we've given our life to Jesus Christ. What he did at the cross was a finished work and we now now stand before the Lord through the blood of Jesus Christ. We will always be sinners. I know that there's some scriptures out there, there's some people out there that want to rely upon scriptures to say, no, we're not sinners. Once we give our hearts to Jesus Christ, well, I don't know who they live with and I don't know who they are and who they look in the mirror and see every morning, but I think we would testify that even though we are Christians, And we've given our life to Jesus Christ. That old man tries to come back. That old person tries to come back. Those sins try to come back in our life. But the scriptures say that if we willfully, you'll find that in scriptures the word um, continually caught in sins. That's kind of, they're using that same word to mean pretty much the same thing. Willful, intentional Sin. Now, what's the difference? Well, by nature, we're not perfect. We live in an imperfect world. So we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of the Lord, Scripture says. But there's a difference between that and us having something in our life that we know shouldn't be there. God's convicted us of it, and yet we continue to do it. That's willful sin. That's intentional sin. That's sin of uh, commission, if you will. We commit those and we commit those willingly. Now, we may, we may get the conviction from God before we do whatever that thing is. And then after we do the thing, we, can go, we, we may go back to God and say, oh, God, forgive me. But if we continue to do that, it's not, it's not real, right? How would you, buy, would you buy that with your kids? And you give them whatever they want and they go back and do it again. How many times would you do that before you go, look, <laughs> no, you're not playing me. Uh, you know, we're not, we're not going to go down that path again. So one is the sin of omission. The other one is the sin of commission. 
So scripture makes it pretty clear that if we continue to do those sins and we know that we're doing it, that it is, it makes our testimony false, right? In 1 John 1, 6, it says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness and lie and do not practice the truth, Okay, so he's saying that if, if we say that we're, we're born-again Christians, we're not saying that we're perfect. In fact, we're saying just the opposite. We're saying that we're sinners saved by God's grace and God's mercy. We needed a Savior to save us. But the Scripture's saying that if we continue to go back into the same things, that we're lying to ourselves about something. And then in 1 John 2, 4, it says, He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Now, can you still love Jesus and be a liar? Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, when we receive Jesus, it doesn't take out the old man, the old person we used to be. We will be struggling with that person throughout our entire walk. But the victory is in Jesus Christ. So many times people will come in and they're so concerned about this sin that that's all they can focus on. And that's, the all, that's one surefire way I know of, of staying in the sin, is always being focused on the sin. The way that you, I don't want to use the word eliminate, but the way you get to the point where you sin less is by snuggling up to the Lord. That's where the power comes. That's where the overcoming power comes in being able to let those things go. It's not about how much you attend church. It's not about which church you attend. It's not about how much Bible you read, although you need to read the Bible. It's not about how much you have memorized. It's about sitting close to Jesus Christ. And I know you guys get probably tired of me using this analogy, but I'm going to use it again. If you've ever been camping and you build a fire and it's cold outside, the closer you are to the fire, the warmer you are. The more you step away from that fire, the colder that you get. So what do you do? You, you snuggle up again, right? And it starts to get so warm, you have to turn around and bake the backside, right? You got to rotate and keep warm. That's how our relationship should be with Jesus. Don't, we don't walk so far away that that walk gets cold. Because if that walk gets cold, what happens is sin tries to dominate again. They keep rearing their ugly head. So, he's telling the Corinthians that they're, they're puffed up. You know, they're, they're full of pride. They have this false sense of security in the Lord, but their actions don't support it. Paul said in 14th verse of chapter 4, he said, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. Now, I always like bringing things down into kind of the, the reality of being a parent. There's a lot of things as a parent you do well and a lot of things you, you don't do well. And I don't know if I've ever talked to a parent who said, man, I was the best parent. I was a perfect parent. Almost every parent I've ever talked to says, 
I'd like to go back and do some things different. But those little critters don't come with an owner's manual, do they? You kind of learn as you go and you make mistakes along the way. Well, um, you warn your children, don't you? Don't, don't you say, hey, don't, don't, cross, don't cross the street. If they're out late at night in a dangerous place, you say, man, don't, don't go to that place. If you see them hanging out with the wrong people, you tell them, hey, man, I'd, I'd really rather you not hang out with those people. It may even get to the point where you say, if you're going to go out with them and I catch you, you're going to be grounded. What an awful parent you are. That's what the world's trying to tell you now. You do that out of love. It's because you love them. If you didn't love them, you would be like my dad and take off drunk and just leave everybody. Not be there to support anyone. Not be there to help with the kids. To not be there to help the wife. To not, you you just pack up and leave. If your parents are still there, that's because they love you. That's because they care about you. And this is what Jesus is trying to say. He's going, I'm not not trying to hurt you. Even with the church in court that's just kind of out of whack. He says, I don't write these things to hurt you. But I write you almost like a parent would because I love you and because I care about you. And because I care about you, I don't let you run the streets at night. Because I care about you, I don't let you do this and I don't let you do that. And he's saying, you know, I gave birth to this church. Well, I started this church. You're my kids. And so I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm just trying to help you get things in order. I think that everybody should write in their Bible, sin kills. (laughs) On the very first page, sin kills. We think sometimes that we can sin and get by with it, but we can't because it kills. And if you're a Christian, it kills your spiritual walk. It kills your relationship with a pure, holy, wonderful God. He doesn't move, but we do. A lot of people say, well, God didn't do this and God didn't do that. It's not, it's not God. We have people quite often, and I've talked to uh, a lot of pastors, a lot of people will say, well, the church didn't do this and the church didn't do that and the people weren't this and the people weren't that. And that may be true. There may be some truth to that. But I found that most of the time, it's a problem inside the heart. It's, a, it's, it's often a, a problem inside the heart of the person who just won't let something go. Or they're looking at things from a wrong perspective or a different perspective. I want you to look around. If you see a perfect person in here, would you point them out to me? Any husbands and wives elbowing each other? Well, he's not perfect, but he thinks he is. <laughs> They don't exist, do they? So here's the thing. There is no perfect church. There's no perfect pastor. There's no perfect elder. There's no perfect deacons. So God works with what he has. And that's a heart that's surrendered to him. But we will never be perfect. But if we allow sin into our life unchecked, I'm not talking about the the sins of omission that we just do because we're dumb. I'm sorry, but we're sheep, right? They refer to us as sheep for a reason. Sheep aren't the smartest animals in the world. We do those 
out of omission because we just don't get it sometimes or we're weak. But the sins of commission, those are the ones that go against everything we say we are. If we say we love Jesus and God can give us the strength and the power to live as men and women of God and then we continue on in something, it's a false testimony. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you be tempted. So, people are going to have trouble. People are going to be caught up in a trespass. Some people are going to go back to some of the old things that they did before. We're not supposed to just blink at that and say, oh, well, that's okay. It's not okay. But we also don't judge them harshly. It says do it in a spirit of gentleness. And I would add love to that. They need to know, if you're going to help restore somebody, they need to know that you love them, that you care about them. If they know that you love them and that you care about them and you're not trying to just judge them about everything, but you're trying to restore them in that relationship with the Lord, it goes a long way. And then he adds there, be careful because you're human too. That doesn't mean we shouldn't try to help restore people. It just means we need to keep in mind that we're human too, so we got to be gentle with everybody else because we just may need them to pray for us sometime. All right. I'm going to give you another one here out of Matthew 18, verses 15 through 18. It says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear you, take with you one or two, and by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. But if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you as a heathen, somebody who's not saved, or a tax collector. Kind of the same thing these days. No, I'm just kidding. But, you know, you don't have a thing to do with them after that. If you've tried and tried and tried and tried, you kind of just, you, you kind of don't have much to do with them. The Lord almost always convicts us personally before he reveals our sin publicly. Scripture says, be sure your sin will find you out. What you've done in secret will be shouted from the rooftops. Wow. Nobody wants that, do they? So when God convicts us in that sweet way, we need to listen. We need to understand. Because it's very possible that whatever that is could be shouted from the rooftops. But remember, it's because God loves us. It's because he cares about us. It's much better to listen to the loving counsel of God's Holy Spirit than it is for sin to go public. We've all seen that, right? We've all read about our our fallen Christian heroes where they allowed sin into their life and lost absolutely everything. Now, I want you to see also it says, go to the brother. If there's a, a, a dispute, you go to that person. Even sometimes as Christians, we're not really good at this. We talk to other people about it. Instead of going to that other person, we get kind of gather around our little crew and we start picking apart and talking about things. And everybody, yeah, I got to back up here. Most everyone has done that. 
at one time or another. But that's not the way we're supposed to, to do it. We're supposed to go to that individual that we're talking about and talk to them and express to them how we feel. And then it says, if that doesn't work, then you can take somebody with you as a witness and you talk. You try to work it out before it becomes something it shouldn't become. And then the very, very last ditch effort is to bring it before the church. Now, what's that? Well, I think you bring it to the leadership of the church first. If they go and try to resolve it and that doesn't work, there is such a thing as excommunication. There is a, such a thing as the church getting up publicly and saying, this is going on, we know it, we don't approve of it, so handle it accordingly or have nothing to do with this individual. Now, you don't do that, you don't do that, that's a last ditch effort and you don't do it to humiliate. You do it because you love that person. If you're doing, to, doing it to humiliate, don't do it. But if you genuinely love that individual and you're trying to get them to wake up and see it. Come on, guys. Have you ever had a child that just doesn't get it? And you you try and try and try and they just don't get it. And there's some times when you have to say, you got to get out of my house. I, I I can't have this here. There's other people in the family here that we're trying to raise for Jesus and you're just a horrible testimony. You just, you don't, that break, that would break your heart, right? You're not doing that because you hate them. You're doing it hoping that if they go out and face a little bit of reality, maybe they'll get it at some point in time. And I know, I know it's a mixed crowd. Some of you are probably going, oh, that's so harsh, that's so hard. Well, which would you rather have? Would you rather that individual spend the rest of their life not getting it and be separated from Jesus Christ for all of eternity or to have them hate you for a little bit? Have them not like you for a bit? Now, I do all of that and I've gone through all of this because this is what Paul's heart is. He loves them. He's trying to do something to be able to help them. Okay, so Paul names the case in point in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. Take a look. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. Now, most likely his stepmother. They're having an affair. I hate to call it an affair. That sounds so innocent, doesn't it? It almost even sounds romantic. They're having sex together, plain and simple. Against the law, against, at this time, against the, the, the church, against everything. It's just, it's just wrong in every way. He's saying even outside of the church, even amongst the Gentiles, they're blown away at this. And it's going on in the church. The church is fully aware of what is going on. Look at verse 2. It shows the church's attitude regarding this. It says, And you are puffed up, for you have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from you. Yes, you guys, you're just living with it. Who knows? Maybe the guy was a figurehead there in, the, in, in Corinth 
maybe, but, but they're not saying anything. Not saying anything, they're not doing anything about this. This, this is one of his concerns. Now, they're proud of their open-mindedness. Now, you might say, well, we need to be all-encompassing. We need to be all-encompassing as far as what this says. Outside of this, we have no jurisdiction. You know what I mean? We are supposed to judge ourselves and judge things within the church. He says at another time here, he says that, don't you know that you guys are going to be, Christians are going to be judging angels? Not a trip. I'm assuming those are fallen angels and we're going to be a part of that judgment. But he's saying if you're going to be involved, if God's going to use you to judge angels, can't you take care of this? Isn't there anybody amongst you in the church in Corinth? That's what he's saying. Is there anybody amongst you that's wise enough, mature enough to be able to handle this in a biblical way? You're puffed up. They didn't mourn. They didn't weep. They didn't agonize over it in prayer. You could say that the church in Corinth was the first woke church. You could say it. I don't know if you should say it, (laughs) but you could say it. They're proud of themselves for being all-encompassing and being able to let this thing go on. Now look at verses three through five. He tells them what the duty of the church should be in this setting. Look at verses three through five. It says, for I indeed, as absent in body but present in spirit. In other words, I'm not in Corinth at this period of time, but in spirit I'm with you guys. I have already judged as though I were present him who has done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, along with my spirit and the power of of Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Wow. I've shared with you guys before that I prayed this prayer for my brother who's just older than me just a year and a half, two and a half years. I prayed this for my brother because he was uh, caught in alcoholism, destroying his marriages, destroying his life, destroying people around him. And uh, that was a hard prayer. But I remember even at the time thinking I'd rather see my brother in heaven and have him dislike me here on earth (laughs) than I would to have him go the rest of his life and not be in eternity. God got his attention. God straightened him up. Stopped drinking. He now belongs to a church where he teaches Bible studies. He has men's fellowships and he's part of their board. (laughs) I'm so proud of him. God has done a miracle in his life. He's a walking miracle. But when I first told him I'd say this prayer, he goes, you did what? (laughs) This is before he started learning the word very much. I told him I'd said that prayer and I began to explain. But I want you to know and understand that 
for the destruction of the flesh doesn't necessarily mean death. Why is he involved in this sin? Because of the flesh. Why is he going this way? Because he's just working on himself. He just wants to be who he wants to be and have the liberty to be able to do this and have everybody else say it's okay. So the destruction of the flesh doesn't necessarily mean to death. It just means to have him quit living in the flesh and begin to live in the spirit of God. He's saying put him outside. Put him outside the church. Excommunicate them. The reason is simple. He claims Christianity, but he's brought all that into the church. He's brought his sin into the church. And he has affected and infected the entire fellowship. Evidently, he had already been approached privately because we've already been told that's what should have been done. Maybe very, very privately because nobody is doing anything publicly about this. But that brought about no repentance. None. So the only recourse spiritually is to consider this man as a heathen or a publican. In other words, a person devoid of the spirit of God. Or at least not listening to him for sure. Now, again, it's important that you and I keep in mind this was for restoration. It really wasn't for humiliation. It really wasn't to try to hurt the guy. It did probably humiliate him and it did probably hurt him. Let me ask you, the lessons, the most important lessons in your life that you've learned, did they come with a little pain? Probably. The old saying, no pain, no gain. If nothing's said and there's no pain, we just continue on the way we are because we assume that it's okay. It's not until somebody says, no, you can't do that. Parents, again, you know how that works. You don't just turn your three-year-old loose and say, hey, do whatever you want to do. Although some people do in the mall, I think. You, you discipline them, right? So, all right. Remember that man is body, soul, and spirit. Man, man is a trinity almost even by themselves. If a man's soul is controlled by his spirit, that's the highest degree of life. Now, as Christians, what that means is being filled with the Spirit of God and listening to the Spirit of God and and walking with the Spirit of God is the highest and best life you will ever have. But Satan will try to tell you it's not. He will try to get you to be uh, commanded and demanded by the flesh or your soul. And it will scream but it is the lowest animalistic level. Now, I know that this is a little gross and it's, it's a little hard, but I feel that I've got to say it. Sex has gotten to the point to where it's a mess. It's a mess. And it's no longer... Guys approaching gals, it's gals approaching guys. It's, it's just a mess. And you see it going all the way down to these young, young people. I mean, very, very young. It, it's really gotten to be pretty bad. Now, society is kind of viewing that as it's okay. 
It's okay, let's just provide the protection that they need. If they want an abortion, they just go get one. Well, it's getting a little harder to do that now. But, you know, if, if there's a mistake made, you don't want to live with that mistake, you just erase the mistake. It's gotten to be a pretty weird kind of setting. It's like a male and a female dog meeting in the alley. They don't go out for drinks. They don't go out for dinner. They just have sex in the alley. And he doesn't turn around and invite her to meet the parents. You you follow me here? It's just a gross, base, animalistic instinct. As Christians, we're supposed to be guided by more than that. There's supposed to be some... It's supposed to be a marriage. That's what it's supposed to be. That's what the scripture tells us. Now you'll get, you'll get made fun of that if you decide to not participate with everybody out there. They'll tease you. They'll make fun of you. But who cares? You're right. They're wrong. Right's right. And we live in a world that's got right's wrong and wrong is right. So, okay. Paul's saying if he wishes to fulfill his flesh, He's being run by his flesh. If he wishes to fulfill his flesh, don't let him do it in the church under the protection of Christianity. That's all he's saying. Let it be a matter of public record that he is an unrepentant sinner, willfully under the power of Satan. Yeah, is that harsh? Yeah, but remember the steps that were taken. There were a lot of steps taken to try to correct this. And he, he just wouldn't, he wouldn't listen. So, not because you don't love them, it's because you do love people. You want them to live their best life. You want them to have the blessings of God in their life. And anything short of that is just not living your best life. So, Paul names a few other sins. Please look at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verse 9. Chapter, we're going to skip around here a little bit. Look at chapter 6, verse 9. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, I didn't say that. I didn't write it. He wrote it. Do not be deceived. He's saying, don't fool yourself. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. But then he turns around and he says, and that was you guys at one time. <laughs> Probably, if, you know, I don't want you looking around and pointing fingers, but if we took a look at those, it would probably cancel out everybody here at one time in their life. But that's where the hope is, because God's changed you. God's made you into a new individual, a new person. The past is gone. That's not who you are anymore. You are a new creature in Christ. Those things have been forgiven when you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He says, and such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. And you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That justified, you've heard preachers say it, you could look at it like, just as if I had never sinned. Justified. God wipes it clean. You're not who you were anymore. 
And if you walked into church this morning and that's who you were, you can walk out completely justified in Jesus Christ. Will you be perfect? No. Will you still sin maybe? Yes. But God will clean you up. Remember he says here, you were washed. God does that. He cleans us up and he changes us because we can't do it ourselves. Okay, now he says in verse 12, he says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. So what that means is the Christian can go out and do whatever they want to do. People say, well, Christians will say, well, I can do this. Well, yeah, you can. Well, I could do that. Yeah, you can. But is it helpful? Is it a good thing to be doing that? But look at the next. I will not be brought under the power of any of those. You might be a Christian and say, I'm not under the power of anything except for the power of God. But I can tell you, some of us are under the power of Pepsi. Some of us are under the power of Mountain Dew. Some of us are under the power of ice cream. Now, if, if you would say, that's me, you, you have compassion, don't you? I mean, don't you have a little bit of compassion now for someone else who has an addiction that's far, far worse? I'm not saying either addiction is good. I'm just saying it gives you a, a compassion for someone who's struggling and hurting over something. And Paul says, the best way to never have to Stop something is to never begin something. Don't you wish when you were maybe 15, 14, 16, whatever the age was, some of you that are older, that you would have just not done this thing that took hold of your life and destroyed your life? Don't you wish you could go back now and just not start it? Then he starts talking about foods and he says in 13, food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food. But God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but it is for the Lord. The Lord for the body. In other words, when you and I gave our lives to Jesus Christ, we are now possessed or should be possessed by the Holy Spirit of God. Now I use that word to make you think. We should be doing things that please God. This man is obviously just all about his flesh. That's all he's concerned about. He's not concerned about the Lord. He's not concerned about the Spirit. The body that we have it was given by God. We're the ones that <laughs> messed it up. But it was given, life was given by God. It, he owns it. And you guys have heard me say before, and I kind of say it jokingly, if we think we're independent of God, hold your breath for 10 minutes. You can't. Right? Even the, the deep sea divers, I forget exactly what their limit is on holding the breath. But you, if you held your breath, you pass out. It's an automatic uh, restart button. You'd, you'd pass out and then you'd wake up. Even our breath is a gift 
from God. You and I are not independent of the Lord. So he's saying, this guy, he, he's, he continues to do the wrong thing. He's no longer doing what God wants, but he's just doing as he pleases. He calls himself a Christian, but he willingly continues in that sexual sin or idol worship or adultery or homosexuality or sodomy or theft or coveting or getting drunk or brawls or in extortion proves that their body is still their own and not the Lord's. Should we hate, I'll just take a hot topic, Should we hate the homosexual? Absolutely not. Should we love the homosexual? Absolutely. But that doesn't mean he should continue in his sin. If he accepts Jesus Christ and says, hey, I realize this is wrong and I will be celibate the rest of my life because this is what God has commanded. Man, you got to honor that, don't you? You have to respect that. How is that? You might say, well, you know, socially that's a much bigger sin than mine. But is it? Isn't it still just a fulfilling of the flesh? Now you might say, well, we're supposed to be all-inclusive. Absolutely, come in. We'll We'll love on you. We had a male couple that used to go to our church and uh, they're nice guys and after the first or second service they came to me and said we're a couple and uh, I said okay I appreciate you letting me know but I said you need to know that we will not compromise the word of God when, when it comes to this we will preach the truth But I was proud to be able to say, I can promise you that you will be loved here. The people will love you anyway. But it doesn't mean that we condone it, but we will love you. And uh, (laughs) it turned out to be really nice guys. They really did. Now, I've... I'm still a little uncomfortable. Call me whatever you want to call me. I, I just don't want it forced on me. There's a lot of things out there I don't want forced on me. And, and I want to abide by what the Lord says. That doesn't mean we have to be mean. It doesn't mean we have to be heartless to people. You can still stand for the truth and still love people. But we don't turn around and say, it's okay. I told him, you know, no, no public, no public expression of that while you're in church. And they agreed. And our fellowship did love them. They're no longer here, but our fellowship loved them. I was proud of our church. Some people might not have even known. But my point is this. All things may be lawful but they're not profitable. All things may be lawful, but there may be many of them that just don't coincide with the word of God. Now, Paul's saying not profitable. Now, what that he's talking about is, as a Christian, my liberty 
might give me the freedom to do just about anything. I mean, if you're a Christian here, you could go do whatever you want, right? You can go commit sin. You can go blaspheme God. Even if you call yourself a Christian, you can go do just about anything. But here's the point. My love for God should keep me from doing those things. Now, guys, I I don't want to get all mushy here, but here's the thing. If you consider what God did for you and me, pulled us out of the muck and the mire, he went to the cross in an agonizing death. They chose a thief when they could have let Jesus go free. They chose a thief instead after he had fed people, healed people, and he goes to the cross for you and me while we're in the gutter. Dan, if that, can't, if that doesn't make us love him, yes. nothing's going to. If we can't find enough love and respect in our heart to pull ourselves out of that stuff, I don't, I started to say, I don't know what more he can do. He, he has done it all. That's why he said at the cross, it is finished. It is finished. The proof The promise, the covenant, it is all there. So, Scripture goes on to talk that when one is in sexual immorality, that it affects the whole body because that... it's, it's their body. They come into the church and whether their lover is with them or not, their lover's still with them. You know, still in their mind and still in their heart. So there has to be a period of time where we say, I need to do this the right way. If I'm truly in love, then let's, let's do what we need to do and, and uh, follow the, the part of getting married and doing what we're supposed to do. So that lover becomes a part of the fellowship, they become part of the worship, they become part of the teaching, they become part of the prayers. That sin would be amongst all of us. And it would even affect the temperature of that church. 1 Corinthians 16, 18 says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside of the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. With this in mind, the church doesn't have the right to be permissive. Look at verse 6 of chapter 5, going back, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. Your glorying is not good. You know, in other words, you're bragging about all of this and your open-mindedness is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Right? You bakers in here, you know what yeast does, right? You just put a little bit in there and it swells up. Right? He said a little bit will mess up the whole lump. Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Let's let it go. Let's start new. Let's start new. Verse 9, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people, yet I certainly did not mean that the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or with the extortioners or the idolaters, since then you would have to leave out of this world. In other words, he wasn't talking about those outside of the church because you'd have to be off the planet somewhere because that's people. But he's talking about 
inside the church. He goes, but now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner. Not even to eat with such a person. You guys remember that they felt that eating with a person was taking in the same food and becoming one with that individual. For what have I to do? It says, not even to eat with such a, a, an individual. But let me give you this in verse 12. For what have, what have, getting ahead of myself, getting excited here. For what have I to do with judging those who are outside the church? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves that evil person. What he's saying is really it's not our job to judge people outside of the church. The church has no jurisdiction outside of the church. God, that, God takes care of all of that in his timing and however he wants to take care of it. But inside the church, he says there's some guidelines that need to be followed. Leaven in scriptures is pretty much always a symbol of rot and decay. You guys know just from living your own personal life, if you allow one thing in, sometimes it's two, sometimes it's three. If you've tried to stop drinking that Pepsi or that Mountain Dew or eating that ice cream, you do, you do really well for a while, right? And then one day you just be gone through the checkout line and you see that ice cold Pepsi in there. And what do you do? You tell yourself, it's just one. It's just one. If I just had one Pepsi a week, I'd be fine. You're not, and you can't, and you don't. Right? Pretty soon that's two. And that's three. And pretty soon when you fill up your car with gas, you also have a five-gallon tank in the car for your drink. A little straw coming back over the top, you know, for you. It's just, that's us, right? Isn't that human nature? It's human nature. All right, guys, I need to close this up. So what gives the church the right? Look at uh, 6, 1 through 8. It says, don't any, excuse me, dare any of you having a matter against another. Don't go to the law before the unrighteous and not before the saints. In other words, go to the saints. Go to, go to your church leadership before you take it to the courts. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more so things pertaining pertaining to this life? If you then have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. It is... uh, is it so that there is not one wise man among you, not even one who will be able to judge between the brethren? But brother goes to law, in other words, to court, brother against brother, and they do that even before unbelievers. Now therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept the wrong? Why do you not rather let yourself be cheated? No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do these things to your brethren. So, Here's a system of do's and don'ts and, a, and its own court system, if you will, within the church. And that's that Christians should try to reconcile. Remember back in Matthew, it said, if you have something against your brother, go talk to him. 
Just go talk to him before it gets out of hand, before it gets ridiculous. Go, go, get, it, go get it resolved. If you need to bring in, you know, the, the leadership of the church, then, then bring, bring them in and see if you can get this resolved and get it resolved in a manner before it has to go to the courts. All right. Let me close with this. 1 Peter 4, verse 14. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. As a Christian, right, suffers for doing Christian things, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this manner. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God, and if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner be? So here's the point, guys. Um, Two roads, right? There's two roads. Which one are you on? Which one are, are we on? Are we on the one that just says, you know what, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. <laughs> I'm sick of feeling like I'm always rowing uphill. I feel like I, that God is against me. Well, it may be that we're against God, that we just won't let the pride go. We won't let the, whatever the things in our life is that we won't let go because we want them and just say, God, I, get, I give up. There's nothing, there's no, it's probably the greatest act of bravery you'll ever commit is when you say, I give up. And God, I want you in my life. 